This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Fight. And welcome back to Bar Down breakdown i'm your host mikey ryan live from the hive joined by my boy tommy v from the land of disney tommy what is good what's going on out there everybody i uh, hope we're having uh, a a good uh a good may so far uh you know i know i know i am you know approaching memorial day coming up here uh you know just, just Kind of enjoying enjoying my time, enjoying the you know the nice summer weather down here as hot as it is, but you know just doing all that regular stuff, man. You know you know what they say, you know just regular is is the is for me, you know. I do not know what the hell I've never heard that. <laughs> no, it's like you know it's like a proverb. It's like you know it's you know you live in a glass house, you know get get changed in the basement you know it's like that no i don't or, know that either what the hell you don't know that one no. dude because if you live in a glass house you can't get changed like uh you know in the glass house because everyone will you know is going to see your dangus so like you got to get changed in the basement all right you know, maybe why, you why would like, a glass house in- have a basement i mean i don't know it's, it could have a basement you know it's not in Florida, Dude, of course. But, I, you know, maybe, I hate maybe figurative language. It's so stupid, and it's so it's it's used so incorrectly all the time. And when I was when I used to teach at my Title One school, where most of my students were minorities and learning English, so they were like English English second language learners, and trying to explain figurative language to my students was just so difficult because it makes zero sense. And I guess every language has it, but it's just, there's so many different variations of different, different idioms and such that yeah, well, it's that's so the hard. Thing. Yeah. So like all the, like all the like idiomatic expressions and all those idiosyncrasies that, uh, are really only in the English language is what makes it so hard for English as a second language, you know, for people that are, you know, learning English and, and, you know, from, you know, whether they're speaking Spanish or Russian or Portuguese or whatever it is, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of things that are, are literal in nature don't translate well. So like, you know, even the phrase, what's up, you know, like granted that's like an idiom that, you know, is kind of widely known, but if it wasn't, 
you know, like, and you say what's up to somebody who doesn't understand that that's an English expression for like, what's going on. Think of that, what you're going to say literally, you know, you say what's up to someone who doesn't know what that is. And they're just going to be like, what, what do you mean? Like, above me, you know? So, and, and that's kind of like one of those things where that is what makes English such an interesting language is because there's so many colloquialisms and there's so much slang and, you know, there's all this stuff that's period that kind of has built as we've grown as a country that, you know, like a lot of these like love languages and older languages just like don't have that built in. And if it is, it's built in at such a smaller scale that it's really, it's really a tough thing. Yeah. I guess we, we don't need to talk about that anymore. I just wanted to give my two cents that I hate figurative language. Hey man, that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) I mean, so, you know, we've, uh, it's cool, you know, before we, we get into it, because obviously we've got a cool interview coming up with with, uh, with our, our buddy Dan Burke from Makeshift, who are uh, you know an awesome Long Island band. But before we, we kind of get into framing that, I guess I can kind of ask a question that I've been thinking about. So, you know, we talk a lot about Long Island and the and the way the Long Island scene was and what it's becoming and how it's changing and adapting. So um, I'm going to ask you to kind of access your memory banks if you can and if you could pull and i mean obviously you and i we've seen hundreds of shows on long island but if you could pull one show that you saw on long island that is you know that that stands out to you that's super important to you or just has a you know has a has a great memory for you you know what what would that be um so i would think the Gatsby's American Dream, As Tall as Lions, acceptance show I saw back in, it was either 2003 or 2004. Okay. You know, three bands that are just so fantastic. And Snaked Across the Crown also played. Not, I wasn't really necessarily so into them. Great but, band, though, yeah. But, like, man, acceptance, Gatsby's American Dream, and As Tall as Lions. Like, man, what a show. For sure, for sure. I mean, um, you know, I um, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind for me because of, um, you know, the circumstances surrounding it and how it went was um, uh, the Tooth and Nail Solid State tour that uh, came to the downtown. I want to say maybe that was like 2003. Um, I mean, it was like me without you, Norma Jean. I mean, like all these bands. Uh, but I very vividly remember that the power went out, and uh, me without you ended up playing like almost the entirety of their set, uh, all acoustic. So they did all acoustic renditions of their songs, and this was, you know, back when they were really still a very, you know, kind of like aggressive, loud band, and they hadn't undergone the shifts that they would in their career. Um, so that's one that sticks out to me. But the other one that sticks out for me for the the memories that go along with it were, uh, um, you know, the the Gatsby Circa Bear vs. Shark show. That, oh, you know, that we was such a blast. Your birthday, right? That was your birthday. Oh, that um, was so that, much fun. That was, was that at, um, was that VP South? Yeah. Sure VP was. South, yeah. Got a lot of fond memories of that, man. But the the fondest one. Um, which I, I'm sure I've told you a bunch of times was, um, you know, during Bear vs. Shark set, 
um, a, a, a inebriated Peggy Duino was just standing near the front of the stage. I think it was Peggy. And um, the lead singer, Bear vs. Shark, just grabbed her. Like, just like came up behind her and just like grabbed her and was singing. And she was like terrified. I'll well, I, I think we need to give the listeners some context. So <laughs> it was my 18th birthday. And being the clown I was, I invited all my friends to go see, you know, a very specific niche band which is Gatsby's yeah. American Dream that like you and I love and some other people really love but you know yeah. let's just call a spade a spade they're not the biggest band and I was just like you know what it would be really cool if you know for my 18th birthday we all like even my friends that are not into that music go and check out this band and like just party and we like partied in the parking lot and yep it turned out to be a pretty sloppy night and sure. we get into the venue and we are literally, and, and I'm not using figurative language at all. We are literally the only group of people in the venue to go she- see this show. So obviously all the bands were super excited to see, you know, 15 to 20 people walk in when the venue was empty before we got there. But most of the people that were with us were not into that kind of music. So, <laughs> you know, the fact that the lead singer of Bear for a Shark did that to Peggy Duina, who is not into that kind of music, definitely <laughs> makes it a little more interesting of a story. It really does, man. And uh, I mean, like, I, I have fond, fond, fond memories of all the different shows I've seen on Long Island and all the different parts of my life, you know whether it was, you know, shows at the downtown, you know, getting to see Straylight Run play one of their first shows, getting to see, you know, a, a band like Cartel. I mean, hell, I even got to see My Chemical Romance open up for, for Coheed and Cambria at the downtown. So, you know, think, think of this, you know, the same My Chemical Romance that, you know, sold out their reunion tour in like 10 seconds in arenas, right? Uh, I, I saw them open up for Coheed and Cambria, who were on their first record. I mean, like, one of the fondest memories of that I have is they played um, a song off of their second record, you know, in Keeping Secrets. And um, it was like they had just started writing it, and they played this song, and they ended up, like, completely botching it. And I remember them, like, saying it to the crowd, like, well, you guys don't know because you've never heard this, but, like, that was a total fuck-up. And, uh, you know, I got to meet Claudio after the show and, you know, he, he he's just a, a cool guy. But like that kind of stuff is 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 a, is cool. And, you know, even like, you know, as I got older, you know, I got to see, you know, the RX Bandits play at, you know, Mulcahy's. And that was, you know, a hell of a show. And, you know, getting to see bands like Stray From The Path, like Long Island bands, you know, Stray From The Path, Glassjaw, As Tall As Lions, Envy On The Coast, you know, even... You know, even, you know, the Taking Back Sunday shows, you know, I got to see Taking Back Sunday play a revolution. It was a super special thing. So um, a lot of fond memories of Long Island and cool shows in Long Island. And on that note, um, you know, again, I, I alluded to a little earlier, but we are uh, chatting with uh, with Dan from Makeshift. Um, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to Makeshift, man, they're probably, uh, in my estimation, probably one of the next bands that are going to make it big out of Long Island. Uh, you know, they've got um, a, a great, you know, a great chemistry. Uh, do those guys, they write awesome songs. 
I mean, if you want to call them, you know, a pop punk band, you could. I mean, they've got a little bit of emo, a little bit of this in there. But, I mean, they uh, they write great stuff. They really do. Um, you know, they just put out a, um, uh, you know, an, e- an EP in the past year. They're working on new stuff. And, uh, you know, join us as we, we chat with Dan and, and talk a little bit more about Long Island and the way it shaped us and how it's grown and how we've grown. And we talk about, you know, a bunch of different stuff. So uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you. So kick it right into our interview with Dan Burke from Makeshift. Enjoy. makeshift dan man how you holding up what's up guys how's it going good good so uh makeshift a good old long island band it's it's uh nice to hear that there's still some young bucks out there holding down the fort yeah yeah we're uh we're out here we're trying to do our thing so um you know even though tom and i have moved away from home like we still pride ourselves on the long island music scene um you know obviously the the scene's a little different than when Tom and I were going to shows because, you know, some of the iconic venues are no longer there. So like I'm talking like the downtown, the crazy donkey. Um, yeah, th- those places that were like the perfect size for our genre of music have have left. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you how do you feel the Long Island scene is doing these days? Um, I think the scene is still really strong and I think it's still a pretty tight knit community. Uh, I think it, I think losing those venues, um, it kind of takes away from, not that it takes away from the excitement a little bit, but it's, I feel like some people can think that the show was get kind of stagnant seeing so many shows at the same venue. But I mean, we have venues like AMH. Uh, Revolution has some really cool shows, and now we have the Mass Pico VFW that are really, you know, they they do a lot for the local community. That it's, I think it without them, it, the local scene would not be a thing. So it sucks that we've lost a lot of venues along the way, but I think we still have a couple really strong ones that make up for that loss. Absolutely. Now, Tom, maybe you can answer this question: Is Stangle still doing shows at the East Isoplanes? Yeah, I mean, he was. I don't know about, like, 
this year with everything that's going on. I think last year he was doing uh, the uh, the bowling alley shows. I know you like I, I'm sure you guys have played a couple of them as I've played a couple of them. You guys have played a few of those, right? Yeah, for sure. We played yeah. uh, we played the last fest. Uh, it was the first year of they were calling it South Shore Alley Fest. South Shore and, Alley. Uh, yeah, yeah it was sick. It was with the punches, handguns, keep flying us and then a bunch of other local bands it was awesome. yeah it, it, it's kind of cool because um even though you know stangles kind of kind of weaves in and out of, of like uh of music and, and doing that of course you know he's even you know doing a little bit less of that now that he's got his uh his store up and running his uh you know vegan shop up and running in huntington yeah. um you know he, he's always had a hand in that stuff i mean you know this is dating myself but you know i i, I can think back to him doing uh the uh, the Stangle Fests. I mean, and, and he had, you know, some 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 big names play those shows. I mean, you know, he had uh, Into It Over It, you know, Bad Rabbits, um, you know, bands like you know from Indian Lakes and a lot of other yeah. bands, you know, before they they kind of started getting big. But he's been were like those, an instrument. Were those Stangle Fests at? Was that at one of like the old church venues? I feel like I remember hearing stories about Stangle Fest. Um, or were he, those also lane shows? No, they weren't lane shows. They were they were at other venues, and I'm trying to think of which one. It was ones. definitely a oh, church yeah. out, maybe like a temple, to be honest, out, I want to say maybe Patchogue or Hopog area. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely remember hearing stories, and I was always yeah. upset I never got to go to one. You're, you're probably thinking of, I, so he's, he's done them in a couple of different places. Uh, he did one, I think, at the Masonic Temple in Smithtown. Yes, um, yeah, that's the one. And then... Yeah, and then I want to say he did another one out in Nassau, um, but the one in uh, the one that he did in 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 Smithtown, that was the one that had um, you know Bad Rabbits played. I remember uh, I think This Is Hell played. He pretty much split it. He kind of split it up, uh, but he had North Korea um, actually play one of them. That's uh, you know that uh, kind of hodgepodge band that uh, what yeah. was it was was Brian in that band? I think that was. Yeah, so it was, was it was Envy on the Coast Brian Ryan. and Dillinger's Escape Plan and a few other like combinations of just yeah 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 all together. It, you know, it's fu- it's really funny because um, you know, like uh, Long Island is one of those communities that like um, you know, you have your venues that run you know your you know your big shows that come through like you know Rev and AMH and all that stuff and you know 89 North for a time and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff but you really do have this big contingent of you know kind of like under the radar booking and i mean you know uh LIE you know Long Island Emo has has kind of been you know over the past couple of years doing a lot of great stuff and um you know they've kind of splintered and branched off but um it, you know it's good to know that that kind of home community is still around uh you know to to let you know, people play shows and I'm hoping that, you know, once, uh, this pandemic dies down and, you know, we can get back to playing shows safely that, uh, you know, things come back together. Um, and speaking of which, um, you know, I, I just kind of caught wind. I was just doing a little bit of research, uh, you know, in, um, in preparation for the episode and I stumbled across, um, uh, this, um, this really cool comp that you guys had just done. Uh, cause I know I, I think you and Ethan, both were working at Webster, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you so you did that 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 comp, um, you know, with some of the guys that worked at Webster. Um, you know, could you tell me a little bit about how you guys ended up uh, coming up with that, and just give some people some insight as to, uh, you know, how that kind of came to be? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so I started working at Webster, I guess about a year ago, like right after they reopened. Uh, mm-hmm. 
so me and Ethan work as stagehands, and all the guys that we work with, we're all music guys. Everyone plays in bands, has played in bands in the past, are currently in bands. So it's, it was, it just felt very fitting that when all this was going on, we do something to try to, you know, like raise some money for sure. the cause. And um, yeah, I mean, we've, we always joke about the idea of doing a comp together and uh, it just felt right to do it. So. Awesome. And um, so how that's working out, like anyone that, uh, you know, I, I know it's a set up there on Bandcamp, anyone that goes on there, what is just the proceeds just go to um, like just directly to like a, a fund that, you know, because obviously you guys aren't working, I'm sure you're all furloughed and stuff. So it just goes right. to uh, helping you guys with some day to days, that kind of deal. So honestly, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the proceeds go to. I was just okay. to be a part of the comp. I, oh, I think it, okay. I think it does go to, uh, I think it does go to the guys since we don't have work right now, yeah, but sure. I don't, don't quote me on that. Cause I'm really not that sure. I mean, it, it's such a cool thing. You know, I was just looking over at, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you guys, um, you know, you guys have like kind of a stripped down track on there, but, um, I saw that, uh, you know, a bunch of, bunch of guys are on the covering songs. Uh, um, you know, they got, uh, covering David Bazan, a Gatsby's American dream song, uh, yeah. covering the Goo Goo Dolls, that kind of stuff. So, uh, it's definitely super cool. So, you know, if anyone out there is listening, uh, what is it called now? What is it now? That's uh, now that that's what I call Mo, right? Is that yeah, what, now that's what, what I call Mo. Yeah. Cause we're the Worcester Hall Momos. The Worcester Hall Momos. Dope. Yeah. So yeah, if anyone so- uh, out there is listening. Yeah. Yeah, so, so go ahead. the story yeah, about that mean, comp yeah, is uh, when I originally got the email, it was like, hey, guys, like we thought it'd be really cool to put together a comp of like originals, demos, acoustic songs, covers, whatever you guys want. So I was like, all right, that's awesome. Like, make sure to spit out this record. I'll do one of the songs acoustic. And uh, I got it all recorded. It's the first thing I've ever recorded on my own and mixed on my own. And I was super stoked on it. And I sent it in, and the night before the comp was being released, my friend was like, oh, I didn't tell you. Everyone ended up doing a cover. So I was like, honestly, <laughs> bro, just put the song on for volume two. I'll get a cover done. But uh, it was funny. All the guys were joking around. They were like, oh, Dan Burke's cover and makeshift for the comp. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> That's great. So, But Dan, it was funny. Dan, why don't you tell us a little backstory about the formation of make of makeshift? Because, you know, Tom and I are, are a little older, and I, I've mentioned that we have been a little removed from the Long Island music scene. So, to be honest, like I, I don't want to sound ignorant, but I, I really don't know, you know, much backstory on Makeshift. Yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, so, Makeshift formed as a band, I think, in 2012. Uh, the band was already formed when I joined. I joined a couple months after they had the original lineup. Um, all of us went to high school together. A couple of the guys were in a music theory class together and they just decided to start playing music together. Ethan was the original drummer of the band and I was on drumline with Ethan. So that was kind of how that came to be. And I started playing guitar in the band at first. Uh, we've had a couple lineup changes in the past. Uh, we had another drummer and then he decided to leave the band in 2017 uh so we didn't really know what we were gonna do so we called up ethan again and we were like hey please play with us again and then uh yeah we just kind of rebooted the band and it's it's really cool because the lineup that we have now of the band is basically the original lineup that the band was back in 2012 so whenever we play together it feels like we're still just you know the kids in andrew's basement 
playing music, even though I like to think that we've grown from that, but perfect. It's kind of tough. Now where, whereabouts on long Island did most of you guys grow up? We're all from Massapequa. Okay. Nice. Nice. And yeah. We all still live in Massapequa. So is the Massapequa soccer shop, soccer shop still kicking? Oh yeah. It's still there, man. Nice. Right. <laughs> right next to the tap room, the good life, Ralph's all on that strip. Perfect. Cool. So, um, now, now that, um, we've kind of got some of the backstory, um, you know, there are some bands that are up and coming from long Island that have started to like hit the road and do some like heavy touring. Like I'm thinking, Oh, so, oh, so, um, Max seal also, I guess you could consider keep flying a long Island band. So like, yeah, as you see some of these other bands making it out, branching off, you know, the Northeast, are, are you guys considering hitting the road for an extended period of time? Yeah, we would love to. Uh, we actually, we were supposed to be on tour for, it was 10 or 11 days in April, right before this whole pandemic hit. Uh, the pandemic hit right before we were supposed to leave. But uh, yeah, we're trying to tour as much as possible. We're, we will tour with anyone. We just are very proud of the content that we're making and we want to share it with as many people as possible. And the, and the content you're talking about is remember the feeling your uh, EP that you guys dropped uh, what in March. So not, not even yep. too long ago. So yep. you know you, you put out an EP, obviously you want to hit the road and, and get it to as many ears as possible. So, you know, obviously it makes sense that you would, be willing to hit the road with just about anyone and play any shows at this point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it it really hurts me so much that we cannot be touring right now because the record, you know, it's it we feel it's four of the best songs we've ever written and it's been received really well on uh the different streaming platforms and I just want to play shows so bad. Yeah, I I could only imagine and and all all the guests that we talk to are kind of in that same boat right now uh a few of them actually have put out new music you know in the middle of this pandemic so yeah. obviously not ideal but you know i'm sure some of the streaming numbers are maybe even a little higher than normal so you got to look at the positive yeah definitely i i've talked to a couple different bands that had releases come out during this whole thing and a lot of people i didn't I didn't automatically assume that it would be like this, but a lot of people are just under the mindset of like, this was our plan. This is what we're going to do. We have to push through. It doesn't matter what's going on. Like the music is going to come out. We want people to hear it. You know, we'll tour when we can. But other than that, people are just focused on still hanging on to as much of the plan that's set in place as they can right now and just figuring out the rest. And did you guys self-release this EP or do you have any label or management backing you guys uh we're totally independent so yeah it's all us okay so um was it hard because you guys have been on some of like the you know pop punk's not dead and some of the other like playlists on spotify so since you're completely independent is it hard to get onto those playlists um i i really don't know how we were picked to be on those it's i'm so grateful and so just amazed at the response that we've been getting but uh yeah it's you literally just submit your song to spotify and you know they have curators there that apparently listen to every song that gets submitted and 
they pick from that. So it was crazy. We put out the record on Friday. And then the following day, I was like, our streams are going up like pretty high on this one song. Like, I, I wonder if we got playlisted. So we were working with a publicist and I texted him and I was like, hey, do you know if we got on any of the Spotify playlists? And he was like, oh, yeah, you got on new punk tracks like way to go. So I look up new punk tracks and I'm like, yo, this has 150,000 listeners and we're the seventh song on it. Like, this is crazy. And uh, I think they only pick like 20 or 25 songs every week to go on that list. And it's you're mixed in with all the bigger pop punk bands, too. Like Belmont had a song come out that week. So they were the cover picture of it. But we were right under them. And it was just so crazy. And then two days later, I'm like, these streams are going up even more. Like, what? is going on and i checked my email and we had an email from spotify telling us that we got on pop punk's not dead so i look up that playlist and i'm like this has 350,000 listeners like what what is happening right now so <laughs> it's crazy it that the song alone has gotten i think it's about to hit 30,000 plays in a month and a half which is insane for us and i think the record is about to hit 40,000 so it's it's crazy yeah, yeah, man, for, for sure. I, it's it's kind of one of those uh, wild things nowadays where, I mean, especially in, in today's landscape where really all you can rely on right now when there's no touring going on is, you know, people streaming your records and, you know, buying, you know, content, you know, off a of, off of band camp and, you know, merch sites and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it, it it is a great thing, you know, to know that you can get some exposure on these playlists. And I mean, a lot of these playlists are... Uh, are kind of like word is bond sort of things, you know, I mean, where like, you know, a lot of people will look towards the, the pop punk, it's not dead playlist to kind of see like, you know, what, what the next, you know, trendy band is, you know, what the next kind of big, big deal is so for you guys to be on. That is a, uh, is an awesome thing. Now I know um, you remember the feeling you guys, uh, you know, released that on vinyl on, on seven inches at the first, um, the first like vinyl release you guys have done. No. So we put out our last record reflection on 10 inch vinyl. Okay. Uh, we did, I think we ended up doing a total of like 50 of those just cause we get them made on our own. Okay. And, um, we do lathe cuts so we can get a really small pressing. Yeah. I was so just it's cool cause it's more it. limited. Yeah, that's cool. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think vinyl is so cool and I mean, it's obviously making a comeback right now, so it's cool to have it on the merch table, but yeah, we, uh, it's a real like, conversation started when we're on tour because bands mm -hmm. are like are you guys signed and we're like no like but you have vinyl like how yeah. how'd you do that so it's cool yeah i i love it for 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 people that i mean just just going through some of the the motions for it for for people listening um vinyl you know to to do it by yourself it is it is stupid expensive um, you know, like typically, even even if you go the route of of doing it as as DIY as you possibly can, um, you know, it's still if you're doing like an LP, you know, you're talking thousands of dollars, you know, because a lot of stuff that goes into it, people don't realize, you know, you got to get uh, the music stamped. And then once you, you get it, you get it stamped, that has to be specifically well before that it has to be specifically mastered for vinyl. And then it gets stamped and then the actual vinyl itself gets, you know, pressed. And usually unless you're doing uh, lathes, uh, like, like Dan was talking about, which is, which can be done on a small scale. Usually I think like the, the min you could do, uh, in like bigger plants, uh, I, when I was looking it up you know, for, for my band was like two fifty, Um, yeah. and then that doesn't include your jackets, your inserts. I mean, before you know it, I mean, you know, this is a long way from, you know, like being, you 
you know, in the mid two thousands and just like, you know, getting your stuff on a, on a CDR and, you know, like <laughs> printing like a shitty label to stick onto it and, you know, giving them away at shows. I mean, you're talking like thousands of dollars. So, yeah. uh, but, but it, it's a cool project because like I said, I mean, the best way to listen to music is, is on vinyl. I mean, that's, that's definitely something that, you know, anyone in the know is, is, is abreast of. And not only that, but I mean, it's a cool thing to have, you know, it's a cool little piece of art to have. So kudos to you guys for, for doing it twice. Cause I'm sure you, you kind of went the same route doing it independently for the seven inch as well. Yeah. Yeah. So kudos for you guys to doing that, man. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a tough thing to do just, you know, for the expense alone. But, uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, listening to the EP and how good it is, I'm sure when you guys get back out there on the road, once all this is over, I'm sure you're going to uh, sell through those quicker than quicker than you even know what to do with. And then at that point, you're going to be really faced with the revelation of, OK, so like, do we now go like press 300 of these and, you know, take the risk of sitting on them or are we confident enough to know that like we're going to we're going to get through them. So, um, yeah. you know. I hope you guys get to that second stage. I'm sure you guys will, because I mean the music is great. Uh, yeah, but you know, you. obviously, yeah, of course, of course, man. But uh, you know, as far as the touring plans are concerned, I mean, I know you guys uh, were originally, um, you know, supposed to go out, and then obviously you had to um, kind of, you know, push that aside given everything that's going on. Do you have plans, uh, you know, when everything kind of settles down to um, kind of go with the same touring plans that you had, or are you going to try to um, kind of build new ones you know like uh, what what's on the back burner for you guys yeah we're gonna try to keep as much the same as we can uh just because i felt like people this was the first tour that we announced the tour and in every city people were like oh makeshift is coming like this is awesome and it i just i would i would feel very bad if we end up having that first reaction from people and then we end up just canceling the tour. So we were originally supposed to tour in April with a band from Richmond called House and Home and we obviously had to cancel it, so we tried to reschedule that tour to the end of June. Uh obviously that's not going to happen now, so we're looking towards the fall now. So I'm hoping okay. maybe like somewhere between September and November the world will hopefully be in a place where we can get 30 people together and have a good time. For sure. For yeah. sure. Now, uh, are you, um, as far as the, the, the tours are concerned, is this something that you guys are, are self-routing for yourselves? Yeah. Yeah. We route everything. We book everything ourselves. We're totally independent. Yeah. So see, and that's, a, that's another thing that, um, that's a tough, a tough thing to do, man. You know, so for, uh, again, for, for, you know, people that aren't really super familiar with that process. So, so you know, when you get to be in like a like a quote unquote, let's say bigger band, you usually have a like a tour manager who goes and does all of this stuff for you. You know, they yeah. they they you know they they find you know venues that that want to want to take you. They route everything for you. Uh, but you know, being in you know a band that's doing everything independently, the onus is on you to you know route everything for what makes sense for your gas. Number one, number yep. two, for being able to maximize all the places you can go. And also realizing how far you could go um, and still be not only relevant, but, you know, be able to to, you know, to play to people and get a decent response and get an opportunity to to, you know, sell merch and and get your music out there. So, I mean, this tour is I remember you said it was 11 days. How far uh, how far were you going? Like what was like your, your farthest date that you had, uh, had anticipated? 
Uh, we were going as far west as Chicago and as far south as Atlanta. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so that's, yeah. a, that's a nice little loop. That's a nice little yeah. loop. So, so um, now, do you guys have, um, have plans to uh, try to get out to the West Coast? Is that kind of on your radar as well? I would love to go to the West Coast. It just financially, it is so tough to get there if there's mm-hmm. no, not that I don't know if there's any real demand out there yet. But uh, unless you know you're going to have, you know, at least 50 people at every show, it's uh, it's tough for us because we all still work and we all, you know, need to uh, stay employed while this is all going on. Of course. So, yeah. Not, but yeah, I, w- but... I would love to go to the West Coast more than anything. I've never been out to California. So. Yeah, I've never actually been out to Cali either. You know, that's one of the one of the things on my bucket list is that truthfully, but, you know, outside of California, really, it's just to to get to the Pacific Northwest, man. I want to do like Seattle, Portland and and Vancouver. Yeah. Um, You know, really, really truthfully, one of the things I want to do is is to go see some some hockey out there. Yeah. Um, And I guess it's a a good of a good of a place to transition as ever. Um, You know, talking about Seattle. So uh, it's kind of been an ongoing theme that we've had with some of our our episodes. Uh, where we're talking about, you know, uh, Seattle's expansion team coming to coming to fruition, and obviously the draft being most likely, for all intents and purposes, what it was with Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're going to be cherry picking from from each team to to complete their roster. So, uh, you being an Islanders fan, um, is yeah. there anyone on the roster uh, that either you you want to see go? Because me and Mikey have our opinions about that, but or, right. or at least someone that you think is going to go, uh, you know, over over to Seattle just to start that franchise. Um, I can't say that I want to see anyone go. Uh, two guys that I would love to keep. Uh, one is Matt Martin, and the okay. other is obviously Anders Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I just like so I I've been an Islander fan my whole life. I really started being an Islander fan a couple years back and I remember Matt Martin was one of like the staple players on the team mm-hmm. and he was just like roughing everyone up and he was just yeah. he was the player that you know he doesn't score the most goals he doesn't you know but everyone is just so excited whenever he's out on the ice and it's always like oh shit Martin's out on the ice like what's gonna happen um so I wouldn't want to let him go but uh also Anders Lee when I was first, not when I was first getting back into it, but my work schedule was tough, so I wasn't able to watch a lot of games. Mm-hmm. One of the first games that I watched in a really long time was the Andrews Lee's first game where he scored on his first shot. Yeah. And I just, mm-hmm. I thought that was one of the coolest moments I had ever seen in hockey. So he became my favorite player after that. And a funny story about Andrews Lee is you know how the Islanders, they go to like elementary schools and they do those like presentations on work hard and follow your dreams and all that stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So (laughs) my mom works at a school in Plain Edge and she, we were at dinner one night and she was like, oh, like there's like two Islanders players coming to school tomorrow. It's uh, this guy, Dahan and some guy, Anders. I was like, Anders Lee is coming to your school. (laughs) And she was like, yeah, yeah. Anders, Anders Lee. That's it. Yeah. So I was like, I got to go. So she snuck me into the school and uh, she told the principal that she was going to get me in and how excited I was and everything. And right before the presentation started, the principal grabbed me and she was like, can you come with me? And I was like, oh, crap. Like, she knows I don't work here. She knows (laughs) I don't go here because I'm 20 years old. 
And I was like, I'm about to get kicked out. Uh, she took me to the faculty room and she was like, I just want to introduce you to Calvin DeHaan and Anders Lee really quick. They're like, this is Dan. He's, he's a huge Islander fan. So I got to hang out in the faculty room of a plain edge elementary school with Anders Lee and Calvin DeHaan for about 10 or 15 minutes before they got to do their presentation. And it was awesome. They were just so nice and just so appreciative. And I feel like hockey players are just the nicest athletes you could ever meet just because oh, they don't, yeah. they don't get paid a lot. They're not, not, they don't get paid a lot, but you know, they're just, they've been doing no, no. it. Yeah, since, exactly. Yeah. They've been doing it forever. It's what they love to do. They're so grateful that it's what they get to do. And yeah, that that's a very long drawn out way of saying, I would hate to lose Anders Lee and Matt Martin. But okay. Oh yeah, dude. So, I mean, I, I totally hear you. So, um, Plain Edge, I'm sure their faculty lounge is like totally old school. And yeah, do they still have like the the smoke um like catcher in the faculty lounge? Because I remember when I was uh, teaching at Deer Park in in uh, <clears throat> you know the school that was built in the '60s, they since uh-huh. like teachers were allowed to smoke inside the school back then, they had in the faculty room like it looked like an air conditioner, but it was like in the middle of the wall and it would just like be to suck up the smoke. I don't think I've ever seen one of those that I would like recognize it to be honest. Yeah. It's just, I don't know those long Island schools, like especially at, like during the baby booming time when they just were yeah. building schools left and right. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just That's all funny. those schools still exist. So basically most of the long Island schools were built in, you know, mid sixties, late sixties. Okay. That's well, have fun. you ever have you ever been on uh have you ever been on like a like an older plane that still technically has like the like the ashtrays on it, but they're like they're like welded shut? Honestly, I really I've been on a plane twice in my life. Oh um, man. I don't know. Yeah. It's <laughs> tough. I don't leave Long Island a lot, man, unless I'm on tour. Nah, man. Look, look, it's <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I mean, yeah. uh it's just like I that that reminded me of that it's um it's funny because they you know obviously some of these planes up in the air are really old and you, know, you used to be able to smoke on an airplane back in the day but uh yeah. they would just weld them shut and they would just be sitting there so that's a but that's a super cool story about um about about lee and lee and uh and, and dahan there and um yeah you know it's, it's kind of cool because uh you know like a lot of these guys like like you kind of said they're really just you know they're 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 hockey players at heart man you know this is like all yeah. they've been born and bred to do uh you know they just dream about you know, hoisting that cup. And that's like, really, that's the only thing that's on their radar. And, you know, they do get to do these cool things and, you know, whatever the organization wants them to do. So super cool that they're out there, they're doing that. But, uh, so let me, let yeah. me kind of, let me rope and, it back. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, please. please yeah. Please. I just want for someone that is such a regular guy, like I, that is the only way that I could describe these two people is that they are just regular guys. Regular. I was, love it. I was so for whatever reason, starstruck by just like being in the same room as Anders Lee that I, I like had no clue what to say to him. I was like, oh, I've been an Islander fan my whole life. Like, I, I swear, like uh, I was, I was watching when you scored your first goal on your first shot. He was like, yeah, that was a good game. I was like, yeah, it was, it was so cool. It was just, I just, but like <laughs> at heart, they really just are such regular guys. And it was just very cool. So, and it's funny because that's, that's kind of the way that I used to get with um, with like musicians that like uh, you know were super important to me. Like yeah. um, I, uh, I you know I went to my first fest uh, you know in Gainesville probably like you know, six or seven years ago, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sitting in the Gainesville airport, the suit, just tiny little airport. Uh, and they do like puddle jumpers pretty much like back and forth to like a couple of airports. Uh, they don't do them anymore, but they were they would do them to like Charlotte and like Orlando and stuff. So anyway, I'm sitting in the Gainesville airport. Um, you know, we're waiting for like a, a plane for probably, you know, the crew that I'm with and maybe 25 other people. And uh, um, in walks, uh, you know, from like the, the terminal, the, the lead singer of the band Lifetime. Okay. Right? And life and for That's me, sick. Lifetime is just, you know, one of those bands like, you know, other than, you know, like Saves a Day and the Get Up Kids are like the bands that yeah. like got me into that kind of music. And, you know, so there's Ari sitting there and I'm just like, uh, I got to go say something to this guy, but like, I, I don't know what to say to him. It's like, I yeah. kind of walk over and I'm just like, uh, Ari, right? And he's like, yeah, man, like, like what, you know, what's your name? And I'm like, yeah. I'm Tom. You, 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 Jersey's best dancers. You did, you did that. And he's like, <laughs> Yeah, I did. And I'm like, ah, it's so cool. It's, it's, I love it. And he's just yeah. probably thinking, this guy's a fucking idiot. But, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's fine. It's just like, you know, the, the kind of the way you get. Um, and I get it, man. Like, I, you know, now that I've been, you know, blessed to kind of, you know, be a part of this podcast and, you know, I, I get to talk to, you know, bands from all over the place, including, you know, some of my, you know, favorite bands and newer bands and stuff. Like, I've kind of, in my older age, sort of like, shed myself of some of that uh like jitteriness but like yeah. I, you know i i still feel it sometimes and i i would probably feel that way if i you know ever got to meet you know any of my favorite players i you know but mikey yeah. over here though is like mr islanders so like you know i feel <laughs> like if you dropped you know cal clutterbuck in his lap he would just be like yeah whatever bro like it's fine <laughs> I yeah i mean yeah i feel like i I don't know. For the longest time, I was always under the impression of, of like, if you see someone that's like someone that you know from a band or they play on a team or whatever, if you see someone like, just leave them alone. Like they're just a person that's trying to go about their day. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's cool. But I feel like once people started coming up to me at shows and just being like, you're in makeshift, right? And it's like, yeah, like that is the best feeling in the world for yeah. me. I'm mm-hmm. sure they see it on a much larger scale, but I'm like, when when else am I going to be in the faculty room of an elementary school with Anders Lee that I'm not going to like take the opportunity to say what's up and try to talk to him if my body allows Absolutely. me, you know? Yeah, right. You're not, you're not throwing up in your hands. You know, yeah, here. seriously. So, uh, to, like I said, uh, to dial it back. So, um, you're like, do you remember like your first hockey experience? Like, I know you said you got into hockey kind of later in life, but like, even as a kid, like, do you remember like one of your first experiences watching hockey? Yeah. Um, so I was very young and I remember my dad's friend was dating someone who worked at like Nike or something and they were over, they were over the house, whatever. And we were talking about the Islanders. She's like, Oh, you guys like the Islanders? We were like, yeah, we love the Islanders. And she was like, oh, I can get you guys tickets. I work for Nike, whatever. So we were like, okay, cool. Like, we'll, we'll take tickets, yeah. So my parents were like, hey, um, I don't remember her name, but she got us tickets to go to the Islander game on this day. We're going to go. Me and my brother were stoked. And we were like, cool. And then we go to the game. And my parents are like, oh, okay. And it turns out she got us like four rows up from the ice. Damn. And that, that was my first, like right in the corner, really good seats. And that, that was the first game I think I ever went to. So after that, I was like, I love hockey. I love see it. I love going to the games. And uh, yeah, 
I was an Islander fan before that, but that really, that, that was my first experience. I was like, this is incredible. That's solidified it for you. Yeah. So, so while we're on this topic, let, let me go ahead and ask you. So Mikey, your first hockey game, okay. tell me a little bit about it. Mine. Oh dude. It goes so far back. Like probably 28 years goes <laughs> like, so, huh. you know, I, it's been documented on the podcast, but I, I grew up across the street from the Islanders PA announcer, uh, Rich Khan. Oh, that rocks. So, um, you know, he's the guy that would be over the loudspeaker, like, you know, announcing penalties, announcing like the, the end of a period. And um, because of that, he, you know, obviously has some perks with the job and he was able to take us to games, you know, pretty often. And his his son is a year older than me. So basically the same age. So, you know, we've been lifelong friends and man, I, I was going to games probably as early as 93, 92. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It goes way back. I I can't remember the specific game because my brain probably wasn't fully developed when I started going. But <laughs> yeah, it was uh definitely a great childhood. I was lucky. That's awesome. Now, Dan, um, grow, growing up in Massapequa, so you know Massapequa is kind of like right slab in the middle of the island where you're mm-hmm. in Nassau County, but you're only like a town or two away from Suffolk County as well. So yeah. Did you feel like you grew up in Islanders country or was it still like a lot of your friends were Ranger fans? Uh, yeah, in elementary school, a lot of my friends were Rangers fans. And I thought it was so strange because we live eight minutes from the Coliseum. And I'm like, guys, like the Islanders are right there. How is everyone? It's because like they weren't a great team and we were young kids and whatever. So everyone liked the Rangers because they were winning a lot. But I was like, I don't, I just always thought that I still think it's really strange that we, we have a team that's ours on long Island. It's they're called the Islanders and people still want to flock to the Rangers. I, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. We were talking to someone from uh, Vancouver, uh, from the band chief state. And he was just, he was just curious, like, you know, how do people from New York decide on like which teams to root for? And it really is like either the family you're born in or like sometimes you're just, you know, and I, I assume that Massapequa would have been a heavy Islanders, you know, territory. But yeah, I guess it just really comes down to if you're a little front runner kid or if you <laughs> are born into an Islander family. It's just one of those things where it's always going to divide the island, really. And then you always yeah. have those weird kids that were like oddly Devils fans. And it's like. Just shut up. That doesn't yeah, make any shut sense. Shut up. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you yeah, gotta figure, was... like, what what else what else do you have in Jersey? I mean, like, technically, I guess you have like the Jets or the Giants if you really wanted to, and then you had the Nets, and then they went to Wawa. Brooklyn. And then you have Wawa, yeah, that's all you got. I mean, in Jersey. And you got and you got Springsteen. So I mean that's really all yeah. you have. So I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, you gotta gotta be a devil's fan. And you know the funny thing too is like, um, you know, when you get to Jersey, like when you get to like, really like the border of like, you know, like kind of like South Jersey, like, you know, kind of like right in the like Philly, that kind of deal. Like a lot of, a lot of those people like are like Flyers fans and Phillies fans. Like, yeah. you know, they live in Jersey, you know, like, like the kind of Cherry Hill people that are right on the border, man, they're just like an extension of, of Philly. Almost kind of yeah. like how I guess like a lot of people say like Jersey City is kind of an extension of Manhattan. 
you know, so you get like a lot of like, yeah. like Ranger fans and stuff in there. So I think um, a lot of like what kind of goes into being maybe not for hockey as much, but like definitely um, for New York, like especially with baseball, I feel like a lot of it is geographical. It's like, you know, when you think of the Mets, you think of Queens, right? And then, you know, when you think of the Yankees, you think of the Bronx. So, I mean, like, right. they're just, like, built in right there. But with hockey, man, it's just like, you know, you got the garden, which is the freaking garden. You know, it's like right. either you're going there to see the Rangers or the Knicks or Cher or, you know, whatever the <laughs> fuck has happened at the garden. But, yeah. you know, the Islanders, I, I always kind of felt like if you lived on Long Island, like, why wouldn't you be an Islanders fan? Like, it's like, just like you said, like, the name is is... It's like it's like for the people of Long Island. It really is like the yeah. only thing that's really for Long Islanders. So like it always blew my mind uh, when when you know I meet someone from from Comac or here or there that's like oh a diehard Ranger fan. And it's just like I don't like cool though. I mean at least you love hockey, which is cool by me. But right. like why aren't you an Islander fan? Man, I don't know. But I get that too because coming up. You know, our age group, even a little, you know, younger than us. I mean, you know, the Islanders were always such a dog shit team. And, you know, in the age of, yeah, like Mikey said, being like, you know, front running, like, why would you wouldn't like the Islanders? Like, you know, you'd like the fucking team that had Wayne Gretzky on it or, you know, a team that had Mark Messier on it or, you know, Mike Richter. Like, you you know, you don't care about Mike Pekka or Alexa Yashin or any of those people unless you're me and Mikey, in which case, you know, you love Mike Pekka and Alexa Yashin. But yeah. That's just kind of how it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the Mike Peck and Yashin, those, when I was first getting into the Islanders, those were two players that I obsessed over because I played NHL hits. I don't remember what year that came out. Yeah. It was for GameCube. Right. Yeah. And yeah. those were, I think like each team for whatever reason only had like six players on it in the game. Okay. out of however many players were on the team. And uh, after I went to that game that I talked about before, they used to have these things on the Islanders website that it was like, like a, it was like an email, but it was like a picture that you could write on it. And they had one of Yashin. And I thought it would be cool to like email myself one of them. And I wrote it as if like Yashin wrote it to me. Okay. It was, I wrote like, Hey Dan, thanks for coming to the game. I saw you in the seats. Hope to see you again soon. From Yashin. P.S. I, I like your turtleneck. On my email, and I was like showing people. I was like, "He sent this to me." They were like, "Yeah, that isn't." I showed like my parents. They were like, "What? I love that. Like, get off the computer. Like, what are you doing?" <laughs> That's great, man. So, and and it's funny because like uh, we, uh, I I'd even talked about this, uh, you know, in a couple of episodes before, but it's like. One of the things that got me into hockey was playing hockey video games. Like uh, yeah. one of the first, you know, games that I remember having uh, was um, like NHL 94 for the Sega Genesis. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I ended up having like NHL like either 95 or 96 for the Super Nintendo. And like those games like like got my hockey knowledge up Like because, you know, I wasn't watching, you know, any other teams, you know, when I would watch hockey, I would just watch an Islander game, you know, whether it was with my, you know, my pops or, or, you know, my mom or my cousin or whatever. So like the way that like I started learning about other hockey players, you know, especially like on the, you know, in the West was through playing these video games, you know, I'd yeah. play as the Avalanche and I'd get to play as, you know, Sackick and Forsberg and, you know, you play as the Canucks and you get to play, you know, Pavel Bure and Trevor Linden and like all these guys that like, you don't get as much exposure to because you really only play the West coast, you know, a couple of times a year. 
Yeah. So uh, I always really thought that was instrumental in getting me me into hockey. Um, but you know, for I, I guess that that same kind of thing range true, and especially you know, like a, like a series like that, you know. NHL hits or, you know, going back, you know, like Wayne Gretzky's 3D hockey, which was like super arcadey. Yeah. Um, it's just awesome that you can like, you know, get more people into it. And I think that's the thing with hockey, man. It's just whatever you could do, um, you know, to get people into it. I mean, it's such a fast sport and it's really an alternative sport, which is why there's such this big connection between this, you know, alternative music, punk music and, and, and hockey. Uh, and I think it's super strong, which is, you know, one of the reasons why we get to do this podcast. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, for me at least that's what's so appealing about hockey is just that it's nonstop and it's like you know yeah. like football you have plays every minute or 45 seconds whatever often those yeah, right? baseball it's like okay like you know a couple guys are playing catch and maybe a guy will hit it in between or whatever but it's like hockey is like nonstop fast get the puck hit someone if they have it you're mm-hmm. gonna fight someone it's just i i just always thought it was the coolest sport Hell yeah, man, for sure. Now, did you play any hockey growing up, Dan? So I played in the street when I was a kid. I was never allowed to play in a league because I think my parents thought it was too dangerous. So I was I was a t-ball kid. Okay. Because I was forced into it. But, <laughs> you know, I, I always wanted to play hockey. Now, Massapequa has its own outdoor roller rink, right? Or is that more uh, yeah, Amityville? Post. Yeah, right in Massapequa. Okay, yeah. Deer Park also had its own uh, rink, and it, it just, you know, obviously was such a huge part of our childhood, being able to have pickup games on, you know, a full rink, and it was just awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I, I also worked at uh, United Skates for a couple years. Oh, my God, and, that uh, place is still around? Uh, yeah, yeah, Holy but cow. after work, a couple of the guys would always play hockey. And they were like younger kids and I was their manager. So I never wanted to be like, oh, can I play? But I would just like stay and watch for like 10 minutes sometimes. I'm like, I just any any version of the sport is just so much fun to watch. I don't know what it is, but. Now, I kind of wouldn't just ask like questions about working at United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Shoot. So obviously the signature pizza that they serve there, like. Is that just like Elio's or what What was the deal with the pizza or did they change it up? Yeah. So the pizza comes, uh, the crusts are prepackaged and pre-made, but, uh, the sauce and cheese are, the pizzas are made fresh. So every, everyone always asks that though. They're like, they still making the pre-made pizza. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of pre-made, but it's, you know, we make it in the back. All right. That just a typical <laughs> Long Islander that spent a lot of time at United States of America. Yeah. Good stuff. But I, I could like, once you brought that up, I, I like instantly could like taste that pizza in my, in my mouth and I haven't had yeah, it in probably 25 years. Yeah. And you could smell it when you first walk in the door. Oh yeah. Just the smell 100%. of the rain. Yeah. Crazy. Dude, they're like talking about like, I, we're, I, this is just getting so off topic, but I mean, you know, this is our podcast. So, you know, we, we do what we please, but like, yeah, man, Talk, talking about like just like walking into a, a place and just like like taking that first whiff of something and just getting like immediately transported back like every time I would walk into East Iceland Lanes like every yeah. single time um, yeah. it would just like transport a memory back to like all of the times like I've played there and all of the crazy shows that I've seen there and like all of the so like you would just walk in you get that like whiff of like 
stale beer and like wing <laughs> alley and yeah, like, like the shoe spray shoe spray and it's just yeah. like man I, I so many funky crazy things have happened there and i mean like you know i, I don't know if, if if john stangle ever has time to listen to this podcast because he's so busy just selling like veggie burgers all the time but like <laughs> he i i really can't can't thank him enough for for everything that he did with that um you know and and like you know running those shows and and giving people a place to play like when and i think the coolest thing about it is like you know you'd get like big bands that would like run through there but like most for the most part it was just like if you want to play come play like yeah Stangle that's, was one of those people that's, like he that's, yeah. that's what i loved about Stangle. It's yeah just, and like i i think it ranged true for a lot of people that book shows on long island so yeah. i I don't I don't want to say this with people thinking it's just John, but he was yeah, just such he was a staple in our band in that, you know, some I was at a show and I found out he was a guy that booked it. And I was like, hey, I play in a band called Makeshift. We really want to play shows. We will play any show that you can put us on. Yeah. And I think he hit me up two days later with a show offer. And with John, it's he's always so pleasant to work with before, during and after the show, every band yep. gets paid. He makes sure yep. everyone's watching your band. It's just, yep. Yep. and I think, I think a lot of people have carried that on from him. So. Absolutely. And I, I think like, you know, I mentioned them kind of early in the podcast, but uh, you know, the, the, the Long Island emo guys and, you know, like, um, you know, John Argandiza and, you know, yeah. whoever, whoever's, I, I know they like did like a little splinter thing. I don't follow it that much. And I know like some guys left and said, I don't know, but um, I, I think it's super cool that, you know, they're still running shows where, you know, it, it's anyone can play. They don't do any of that pay to play nonsense, you know, which like, dude, I, I, you know, when I was coming up, I was in this like high school band and like Long Island was still very much like with the exception of maybe a couple of people like pay to play, man. And it sucked. Yeah. You'd have to go out there and sell tickets and all this stupid shit. That's one of the things I, I couldn't stand about, like, the downtown. Like, the downtown, I'll never forget it. They did this huge Battle of the Bands thing, uh, and it was for a spot to play um, on... Was it Bamboozle? Uh, yeah, it was Bamboozle. They did one before that that was for this thing called This Island Earth Fest. But, yeah, it was okay. for Bamboozle. And, man, I just remember, like, people were, like... like trying to sell tickets for like 10 12 dollars like oh come yeah. see my band it's like it sucks that like you know a, a a venue is gonna put someone through that because at the end of the day man it's just like kids that want to just play music and like you think of like all these bands that came out of long island and like how difficult it was for for them i mean like because you got to figure like at a certain point like bands like you know Taking Back Sunday and like Glassjaw and like all these bands that are like now humongous things at some point, like they were put on, you know, shows and had to probably sell tickets and pay to play. And like, you yeah. know, imagine if they had never had to do that, I, you know, how much bigger and broader they could have been. And I, I think that's a, it's a great thing about the Long Island community is just like that for the most part, that shit's gone. And it's a good thing that it's gone because it gives people the opportunity to just say, fuck it let's go play a show and either it works for you or it doesn't, but at least you got the opportunity and you didn't have to con 30 of your friends to spend 10 bucks or, yeah. or, you know, take $200 out of your own pocket to play a show. Like fuck that, man. Yeah. I mean, I think with the whole pay to play thing, I think it's something that a lot of bands go through. And I think at least in the, in the time frame that we came up, it was something that 
every band it was just a part of your i guess if you want to call it your story of becoming yeah. bigger you know mm-hmm. but i feel i don't i don't resent anyone for doing that i understand why they did it from a financial standpoint but it's mm-hmm. also like the people that really care about it aren't going to make bands sell tickets but it's also yeah. like when i think it also kind of like taught us how to really hustle and like get people to like it makes you talk about your band and it makes you advertise yourself to people. So now that we're out of that, you know, you have to sell 20 tickets yeah. by the show. Mm-hmm. When we play a show and we're supporting a bigger band, I'm like, give me 50 tickets. And people are cool with that. They let us keep X amount of dollars per ticket. We end up mm-hmm. getting paid. And it's, you know, I, I kind of, we went from the pay to play thing was shit for sure but now it's kind of like i like selling tickets to shows now because it it's an easier way to advertise it's a hard ticket sale it's not just like sure. oh we're playing this day okay yeah i'll i'll be there it's like yeah. all right then buy, buy a ticket if you want to come so that well, way you yeah, i mean know, I, I you know yeah for sure <laughs> I, I can i can actually appreciate that perspective um you know and and i mean that's the cool thing about you know having these these conversations in general it's just like i you know I guess I never, I never felt that way about it. Like, but what you're saying makes sense. Like it does, it just, it gives you, you know, um, a little bit more of a reason to kind of, to hustle and and focus on, on your craft. I just always thought it was like kind of damning to, to some people that just wanted to see if they were, you know, kind of cut from the right cloth and really just wanted to go out there and play music. But I could dig it, man. You know, I really can. And, and uh, I think though that it, it is a good thing that, there is a contingent of people that will just, you know, let you, you know, pop onto a show, you know, get a nice like opening slot somewhere just to, to see if it's for you, you know? Yeah. And it's, I think also, I, I definitely agree with you that I think maybe the pay to play thing kind of discouraged a lot of people from wanting to mm-hmm. play shows or wanting to be a band. But I also think if pay to play was never a thing, maybe it, you know, the people that are booking shows now, are incredibly passionate about it and it's what they Mm -hmm. love to do but maybe it wouldn't have given you know stangle or long island emo or ecc maybe it wouldn't have given them that drive to make sure that they were such awesome people when people play their shows you know what i mean so it's like that kind of thing it's when you when you've experienced something that you're unhappy with i feel like it drives you that much more to want to be the change and make that change happen for the betterment of the local scene or whatever you're trying to improve. Sure. Hell yeah, man. Like I said, that's uh, mm. it, like I said, it's a, it's a perspective that never popped into my head, but I'm, I'm glad you shared it because I, I think that does ring very true for sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you and you know, it, it sounds like our beloved music scene is in good hands with you guys up and coming and holding it down. So, uh, wish you and and makeshift all the best and you know i I, i'm looking forward to you guys getting back on the road and being able to promote your ep and you know hopefully labels come uh knocking down your door yeah thank you guys very much and thanks for having me i hope uh we get to play in charlotte and florida sometime soon and we can uh hang out and have a beer at the show for sure man link up and does does ethan still still wear the saves the day sweatshirt uh he switches it up he has a movie life sweatshirt that he wears a lot uh he has a gatherers hoodie that he frequents but uh yeah save the day is definitely in the mix it's still in the rotation man yeah that was like 
that was that was his like nom de plume for a hot second. Whereas just cool Ethan just wearing a saves day sweatshirt every single day of his life. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> uh, he finds something that he likes and he sticks with it, man. You got to respect it. You know, I absolutely respect it, man. But yeah, all all the best to you guys. Um, uh, again, uh, you know, uh, chatting here with with me shift. Um, and uh, definitely, like I said, um, that uh, comp that they put out, uh, definitely go check that out for sure. Um, you know, that's what I call Mo. And then, uh, you know, the new EP that you guys put out, man, I hope that, uh, you know, people keep streaming it, people keep loving it. Um, and, uh, hopefully, like I said, once everything calms down, you'll get out there, play some shows and, uh, we'll catch it. And, uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be, it'll be dope stuff. Yeah. I can't wait. Awesome, man. All right. Well, again, we, we appreciate you being on the pod. Thanks for talking hockey and music and you have a good one. All right. For sure. Have a good one, guys. All right. See Cheers. You painted it and it's been gazing out over the table for as long as I remember. And I wish that I had given it closer consideration. I better look when you were around. I tell you that. to another generation of the Long Island music scene. And I feel like we're in good hands. Yeah, I mean, we really are. We really are. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, Makeshift is just, is just you know, one of those bands that just kind of, you know, are, are at that tipping point, I think, man. I think that they're right there with the kind of music they're making, how they're marketing themselves, their brand. Um, you know, and I'm really excited for, you know, what's on the horizon for them, obviously, you know, having to, uh, you know, cut a, cut a tour short or essentially never have it happen. And, you know, not, not being able to, to get out there and do what you want to do in these crazy times sucks. It really does. But I think it's, um, I think it's super cool, man. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a cool thing to get to, you know, chat to, uh, you know, chat with, with these guys that are, you know, kind of flag bearers now uh you know for for our area and it's really super cool now hear me out so obviously the bands that have come out of long island are top notch and like known throughout the country and even known throughout the world but mm-hmm. i feel like there's one like sub genre that long island has not produced a lot of bands in 
and that's the pop punk genre. Maybe I'm wrong. Prove me, prove me wrong. Well, so here's the thing with like pop punk. So Long Island's like biggest, deepest period, right? Where like they were putting out where a lot of bands were flourishing, like pop punk wasn't really um, like it wasn't really super marketable. Like it kind of had, had come and gone. So like this is the lineage that I see like personally. Right. So I look at, um, you know, in the 90s or like the late 90s, like pop punk was just starting to kind of like. Like kind of like poke its head into the into the the mainstream and you had you know, bands like Green Day and Blink-182 kind of in the forefront of that. And then you had your, you know, your other bands like, you know, your your MXPX, your Newfound Glories, your, you know, and like your Lag Wagons and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then it kind of evolved into like this sort of like, you know, sort of emo punky thing. And that really pervaded the scene. And when that did, like, that's when you're taking back Sundays, your brand news, your, you know, your glass jaws, your, you know, all, all of those bands kind of started getting big. So, I mean, I, I don't think I would disagree with you. I just don't think that Long Island really had the opportunity. And I guess by the time that like pop punk started to like resurge again, Long Island didn't have it as much, but a lot of other places in the East coast did. So, you know, like, Philly, you know, and Boston and like, you know, um, Jersey and like all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, man, I, I guess Long Island kind of missed the boat on that one, you might say. Yeah. So to hear that, you know, makeshift, even though don't, I guess by definition, don't necessarily fit the pop punk mold, but they, they definitely have some pop punk tendencies. So to hear, you know, one about to you know break out and do big things makes me proud especially since i would say that's my favorite genre of music so yeah you know obviously i'm a huge fan of like as tall as lions and the sleeping and envy on the coast and 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 those those bands but none of them really fit the pop punk mold so it's cool yeah, i mean i guess maybe maybe the closest um, to be honest, probably the closest would have been the movie life. You know, I, I guess when it comes down to it, I mean, like even they strayed a little bit from it. But like other than than Jamestown, you know, like the the first record, you know, the the EP that they put out. Um, I mean, like that was like 2000s pop punk to a T. So, I mean, I guess they would really take that crown. But there were you know, a lot of bands that, that came out that like kind of got to that tipping point that didn't end up getting humongous but i mean had good had good success you know i think of a band like you know um giants at large you know at a long island or uh, even you know uh, no good news which was you know chris regan's project before he started doing the meantime you know so it's there it's out there it's just um you know in such a a landscape that's so saturated because like when 2010 came around man like i mean you you literally it would take you like 10 minutes to read off the list of, you know, all of the pop punk bands that were getting super popular and going on warp tour and touring all over the place. So um, it just was a very, you know, kind of spongy saturated time, but, um, but Hey man, you know, makeshift being the, 
being the one to, you know, kick out the window and, and get it going again for Long Island. Hell yeah, man. Why not? Yeah. So I, I hate to do a complete like 360 right now, but as I was scrolling on Twitter, Elliot Friedman for Sportsnet Canada just announced that the NHL PA is working on a 24 team conference based playoff setup. Now, we've already talked about that on the pod, but yep. it, it seems like the NHL is ready to now submit like their plans to the Players Association for approval. Okay. Now, this does also kind of, I guess, touch on the current events, like national current events, because the Canada-USA border is still closed until like middle to end of June. So that's true. That's yep. obviously going to be like a speed bump in this plan. But yep. I, I think the NHL can work some backdoor deals to get that approved. But it's definitely a step in the right direction because I was starting to get a little discouraged that we might be done for the season. So this is a little promising. And then it yeah. does seem like the top four teams are going to get a buy. So they would receive buys mm -hmm. through the play-in. So there's going to be like a play-in okay. round. And then okay. I honestly think that that is a disadvantage. Now, a play-in Yeah, because think about it. All these players are all on like vacation mode and yep. are rusty. So during that play-in round, they're going to kind of get some of their legs going and, and get back into game mode where those top four teams are going to be sitting around waiting more, waiting yeah. for these teams to to finish out their, like, mini-series or what they're playing games. So, like, I don't know. I, I, would, I wouldn't want to be those top four teams, in my opinion. For sure. And, you know, I, I, like, I can't say that I disagree with you. I mean, I think that's, that's, a, that's a very valid concern because, honestly, um, you know, that it, that not only is that going to be a disadvantage, but I mean, a, I think a playing round in general is a disadvantage because, excuse me, because you know the whole idea with with a hockey with hockey playoffs, right? Is you know, have best of seven series, which really kind of more clearly determine who the best team is. Um, whereas, like in a you know playing game, it's kind of like the um, you know the MLB how they have you know, the wild card, that one game wild card playoff, you know, where it's just like, it doesn't mean, you know, the better team doesn't necessarily win, nor do they have the advantage because anything can happen. And I think that makes for more excitement. But I mean, like, I think that also means that, you know, like a team that is decidedly the better team can have an off day. And, uh, you know, a, a team that's not as good can advance in the playoffs. And then when you start having the you know, the, the later rounds where it is best of series, whether they're going to make it five or seven or however they're going to do it. It's just like, if a bad team advances, like a good team is just going to demolish them. And you're going to get four straight games of like non-competitive hockey. So like, that's kind of the way I think about it. I don't know, man. Like, I really don't think because the, the really terrible teams this season aren't even in this 24 game playoff. So okay. 20, 24 team playoff. So I don't really think there's that much separation between the top tier teams and 
some of those bottom tier teams. Okay. But, you know, either way, I also saw that like some infectious disease expert gave recommendations to the NHL. And even when hockey does continue, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be the hockey that we love and, you know, go crazy for. So, you know, obviously the NHL doesn't have to follow these guidelines, but if they do, these were the guidelines and recommendations. So there would be no fighting, Mm -hmm. no scrums after the whistle. Mm. Players would need to wear full face face shields. Uh, Coaches would need to be socially distant on the bench. Um, During the face-off, you know, normally the wingers line up next to each other and are like fighting for position. They yeah. would they would also need to be separated. Uh there would be no spitting on the ice or on the bench. Okay. So you know, some definitely hard to enforce rules. Sure. But you know, what would playoff hockey be with no scrums? You know, there's there's not always that much fighting in the playoffs. But, yeah. you know, the scrums and that physicality is definitely mm-hmm. very evident in the playoffs. So yep. not having that could also change the teams that would do better in the playoffs. I agree. Especially, like, I, I think of a clear example last year, Boston and Toronto. Like, Boston mm-hmm. just, like, outruffed Toronto, even though Toronto is more skilled. <laughs> And yeah. that's how Boston advanced. So, like, if there's no scrums, there's no fighting, there's less physicality, those finesse teams that have, you know, players that feel like now the ice is a lot more open are going to do better than some of those defensive-minded physical teams. Yep. No, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from on that, and that's very true. It really is. So... You know, obviously, at this point, there's going to be a little asterisk next to the Stanley Cup if there is one awarded. But, you know, it's definitely going to look a little different if they do follow these regulations. And, you know, at this point, beggars can't be choosers. And I'm totally on board if they figure it out. Uh, I also saw someone posted that the NHL was considering having fans in the stands but they would also follow the six foot uh social distance guidelines and based on that it basically would mean that there'd be 2,000 to 2,500 people inside the arenas but like spread out which is kind of wild to think so yeah you know all this is like rumors and here and he say and whatever but it's it, it would be funny to see can you imagine 2,500 people fill, like spread out in a 20,000-person arena? I don't know, man. I think it would just I, I think it would just look strange. But, you know, looking strange is kind of par for the course these days, isn't it? You know, so whatever, <coughs> excuse me, whatever they got to do, you know, to at least get some hockey back, you know, into the, into the airwaves, I'll, uh, you know, I'll take it for what it's worth. I mean, obviously, you know, who knows what, you know, how the sport's going to have to change, you know, definitely, but we'll see. 
All right. So, oh, now I guess like everything's breaking right now after that Elliot Friedman piece because Art Staple, Staple, who covers the Islanders, you know, just tweeted six minutes ago that based on the scenarios that we were just talking about, the Islanders would be a seven seed and right. would face the number 10 seed Florida in the opening round. Okay. And then if they advanced, face number two seed Tampa. Now, wow. being an Islander fan and we're not an Islanders podcast, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> I because, do too. Well, yeah, obviously you because you're in Florida, so you'll be able to watch all those games and everything. Yeah, and, and you know, if if they do open things up, who knows, maybe even go to some of those games. But true, true. It, it's uh, definitely made my mouth water thinking that we would face Florida first round. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a good pull, man. That's a, that's, that's a good luck of the draw. But, uh, I think, um, man, I just, I think the prospect of this is so cool and I I would love to see it come to fruition. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for it, man. Yep. So I guess we could wrap this up before more breaking news comes out, (laughs) but you know, as always, Tom, um, it's been a blast. Um, we do have a Spotify playlist right now that is a beast. And Tom and I spent many, many hours trying to come up with the perfect playlist for you. And the whole premise is that every guest that we have on, we want to add to this playlist. And we started with five songs each band. And even picking five songs for some of these bands was extremely difficult for us, but we tried to mix it up where we, you know, if, if some guys were in more than one project, we tried to include some of the different projects they're in. Yeah. We tried to spread out the songs that we love from each band. We are fans of every single band that we've had on this show. So we put a lot of heart and effort into making this and it's a beast. It is over 13 hours long which means it's your weekly podcast uh, playlist where you could just put it on yeah. one day and forget about it until Friday and just like, yep. y- you'd be good. So definitely go and uh, like and follow the playlist. Um, you know, it's really just a, a way to thank our guests and to, you know, try to get them some more fans because we're fans and we think you should be fans of there because they're extremely talented musicians. And we love every single band that we've had on. Absolutely. You know, so on that note, uh, we, you know, appreciate your continued patronage and listening to us. Check us out at bardownbreakdown.com. You can get us on uh, Twitter and Instagram, BDBD Podcast and Bardown Breakdown. Definitely check out that playlist. Uh, You know, we'd love to hear your feedback on it. You know, any songs that uh, you like, you know, if we threw something up there that, you know, you may not even realize, like, oh, my gosh, you know, this this band that I didn't realize had a, you know, a record come out a couple of years ago and there's some music from it. So interact with us, tell us what you think. But, uh, as always, we appreciate you listening. We always, you know, appreciate every like, every subscribe that we get. So, uh, we, we definitely thank you guys for, for listening. We hope you stay safe out there and, uh, let's all keep our uh, fingers and toes crossed for some, some hockey. All right, Tom, I'll leave you at that. Peace be with you. And also with you.